Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orange Brown Talk podcast on a Monday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. And we heard from Andrew Barry today, his season ending press conference. But um, a little weird to call it a season ending press conference because he wasn't super reflective today. He was really kind of spinning things forward. And so there were a few key points I wanted to kind of touch on today. So we'll kind of go through those. And there's a couple regarding Deshaun Watson that I want to talk about. The first is Deshaun Watson, Joe Flacco. And Mary Kay, I know you've written a little bit about this. It was a topic today as to whether Joe Flacco and Deshaun Watson can coexist in the quarterback room. Andrew Barry was, I hate to use the word definitive because he's never definitive, but he seemed pretty excited at the idea of having Joe Flacco back if things kind of worked out financially and if the right opportunities maybe didn't develop for Joe. Um, he seemed a little bit excited at, at that possibility. Were you surprised at how, I guess, outwardly, well, you say it again, just outwardly excited Andrew was, like how he actually engaged in that idea? Because he doesn't usually do that. No, I was not surprised whatsoever because I know how much the organization loved Joe Flacco. We know how much Joe Flacco loved the Cleveland Browns. It was the feel-good story of 2023 when they needed a feel-good story, when they needed someone to come in and save their season. And, you know, all anyone has to do is look at that Jets game that Andrew Barry referenced and what a night that was. And what, uh, as he even mentioned, a family night that is was with all the little Flaccos in their jerseys and, uh, you know, just bringing that joy to the lakefront on that night and clinching. Uh, there were so many good things about Joe Flacco at the end of this season that it doesn't surprise me at all. It also doesn't surprise me that, uh, that these guys think that those two quarterbacks can coexist. I've heard it said by people, you know, in this very media room, there's no way that those two guys can coexist. And I know there are a number of people that feel that way. I'm not in that camp. I don't see any reason why two professional quarterbacks cannot coexist on a team when they have no reason to uh, dislike each other. And I don't think it would be divisive in the locker room in any way, shape or form. Uh, I know some people think that it would be. I don't think that it would be. These are all professionals and these are two really good guys. I think they could make it work if it comes to that. But I actually think, you know what? I don't know if it's likely to happen. I actually almost think maybe Jacoby coming back would be more likely to happen than Joe. So I agree that I think they can coexist. I don't think it's about them. Um, I do wonder what happens if Deshaun Watson comes out and in the first three games throws for 175 yards a game and turns the ball over six times and you've got fans, you know, I mean, we can all envision it, right? Like they're losing, they're losing game number three to fall to one and two and Deshaun Watson has thrown two interceptions and he looks more like the Deshaun we've seen we, We've seen that version of Deshaun more than we've seen the good version. He looks more like that Deshaun, and you start hearing the Flacco chants. And you start, he, like, there starts to be a little bit of a groundswell for Flacco. I think that's when it gets tough to manage. But if they feel like they can manage that internally, Ashley, then I guess it's probably not really an issue. Yeah, I mean, and at what point, like, 
I, I think if you're a good team or a franchise, like you can't be making major decisions based on, oh, what is our home crowd going to chant if we're losing in week three? It's just a funny, it's a funny visual for me to like picture them all sitting in a conference room in Berea and Andrew Barry being like, but guys, what about that crowd if we're losing? What if they start chanting Flacco? What are we going to do? Um, but I like, I can absolutely see like that scene happening if Deshaun plays poorly at the beginning and these two guys aren't together. But to your point, Dan, I do think that's correct. Like I don't I don't think that's ultimately going to to impact anything in terms of their decision making there. But I also one hundred percent agree with Mary Kay. I think Joe Flacco played well enough at this point that to me right now I would just be surprised if the Browns were able to get him back. Um, And I do think, though, ultimately, the lesson of this season is, hey, like, you probably need a more veteran, experienced guy in that room who can get the ball down the field. And, hey, I think, like she said, Jacoby Brissett, we know what that looks like when Jacoby is here. So if that's more likely now because Jacoby didn't really gain any additional traction this year after his pretty solid year here in 2022, I think that's a great backup plan to Joe Flacco. But if, if it does end up being Joe Flacco, unlikely. Um, I think him and Deshaun Watson can 100% be in the same quarterback room together. You know, I think a point to make here, too, is the fact that, you know, what we're talking about and what you're referencing there, Dan, which could which could happen, uh, that's just not in the thinking process of the Browns at all. They are so supremely confident that Deshaun is coming back 100% healthy and that he's coming back as the three-time Pro Bowler they expect him to be, that he's coming back as the player that came bounding out of the locker room in Baltimore and put the team on his back and won that game. That's who they are confident that they're getting. My whole piece in all of this, and I tried to ask about it today, is nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows for sure how Deshaun is going to come back from this shoulder surgery because there's very little precedence for it. I can't find an NFL quarterback that has come back strong or has even had a fractured glenoid bone and had it repaired. I can't find it. I mean, I'm going to have to do more research, but as of now, I can't find it. There have been other, there have been, you know, AC joints and, you know, humerus bones and rotator cuffs and things like that. But I haven't seen anybody come back from this particular injury, which brings me also to um, the post that I did today on Gerard Johnson, the um, the Texans quarterbacks coach that they're interviewing here in Berea on Tuesday. He has undergone a shoulder surgery of his own when he was a quarterback at Texas A&M, and he was never able to make it back to the field to the, in the capacity that he was before he left. He was a really good prospect. And it just didn't work out for him after that. Um, and, but it was a completely different shoulder surgery. But the point is, I mean, he had a torn rotator cuff and a torn labrum. But the point here is that he really understands what it takes to get somebody back on the field, to, to talk somebody through a shoulder surgery. He knows what that's all about. And I think that's what makes him unique and is going to make him unique going forward in terms of the uh, the coaching candidates for offensive coordinator. Uh, someone that is go- going to be able to guide Deshaun Watson through that process. I, I think it would be invaluable. So 
this is kind of a good segue to the other thing that I wanted to touch on regarding Deshaun Watson. And apparently my dog is very excited about this topic. Um, Andrew said something today that got some people on Twitter a little worked up. And, and I don't know that it was necessarily warranted, but he sort of framed the Deshaun Watson discussion in like a 10 year window, as opposed to, you know, the question was, how would you judge this trade to this point? And he, you know, they're two years in, he's played 12 games. Um, it's hard to really judge this trade favorably at this point, but Andrew framed it as, you know, when we made the trade, we saw this as a 10 year move, which to me isn't shocking. Cause Mary Kay, we've talked about this. Like, when you trade for a franchise quarterback, you're not trading for him for two years. You're trading for him to be your quarterback for 10 years. Now, you're hoping that he does more than he did in his first two years. And I can understand if Browns fans are a little like, I don't, can we like just kind of get him on the field for a year and win some playoff games before we start talking about 10 years? I get that. But this sort of reminded me of when Andrew said at the bye week, like, he wants the fans to just sort of sit back and enjoy the process of the team coming together. And that got fans kind of worked up a little bit and it turned out that worked out. I don't know if that's how this is going to go with Deshaun Watson, but I did think it was notable that he did sort of frame the Deshaun Watson and judging that trade a little bit differently today than I think we've really heard him do at least outwardly. And again, I don't, I don't think it's unfair because I think if he is your franchise quarterback, you didn't trade for him for two years. You traded for him for 10. Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at it in the context of two out of the five years is out the window already. And each one of these years in the five years of this current first contract are worth $46 million. So $90 million of the 230 is already out the window, right? You know, two-fifths of, of this five-year contract are basically down the drain uh, because of the suspension and the injuries. So, you know, if you are going to look at it like, okay, he's got three years left at $46 million a year to accomplish the goals. I mean, what you were hoping for were multiple Super Bowls from Deshaun Watson, not just one, but sustained success. You were hoping that he could get you there more than once. Um, so if you do think about it in terms of he's only got three years left to do that, you know, it, it could almost be like, a panicky type situation because who knows what his first year back is going to be like, you know, is this going to be, you know, knocking the rust off again for the first six weeks, eight weeks, you know, is he going to hit the ground running? No, nobody knows the answer to that. Um, so if you look at it in terms of a 10 year plan, which I do believe that that's what they thought when they acquired him, that they were going to have him for the next 10 years, because that's how long these quarterbacks play for now they're not done at the age of 30 or 32 you know they play until they're you know 37 whatever the case may be so um so i i don't have a problem with him framing it like that i can see where fans might have that that issue but i think it kind of you know gives them a little breathing room to know that okay well if it doesn't go exactly according to hoyle hashley Ashley, Ashley, <laughs> Ashley, this year, <laughs> then, um, then perhaps, you know, they do have some time to accomplish their hopes and dreams with him. Yeah. And the, like, look, I'm, I'm not trying to spin the trade that this trade has been bad to this point. There's you, there, you just can't argue. I mean, the Texans have won this trade times 10 to this point, but it's also, 
like they're Deshaun Watson is the starting quarterback and he's going to be the starting quarterback. And maybe if it goes really poorly in year three, we're having a different discussion with Andrew next year. Although again, that contract, it's still an unprecedented contract. So it's still really hard to get out of that. And he's got a no trade clause. So there's really no way out of this right now. So I guess to me, Ashley, like you've got, you, you have to look at this. If you're a Browns fan, if you're a Browns GM, if you're a Browns coach, you have to look at this as long-term as possible. But I also completely understand if you're sitting there saying like, yeah, okay, but you're asking me to bank on a guy doing something, as Mary Kay was pointing out. I don't know if anyone's ever done, especially when you add in that he's barely played in three seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about it, right? There really is no precedent for this. And I do think the nature of the NFL is in general, what have you done for me lately? And we're to a point that 2020 Deshaun Watson is so far in the rearview mirror that fans are not thinking about that year. They're not thinking about that version of Deshaun Watson. And the reality is the sample size here is so small. And I think like, yeah, in the perfect world, he comes back and everything looks like it did in that Baltimore game, basically, right? Because that's when we've seen him at his best in Cleveland, things really came together. He had all the right pieces around him. The defense was firing on all cylinders. Everything was going according to Hoyle in that game. <laughs> and hopefully it goes according to Hoyle next season. But I do think just the the unprecedented nature. I mean, I know when this injury got announced, like I remember sitting in that media room and I'm trying to Google and find, you know, any example of these injuries. And I think if you guys remember, all I could find was I believe Dallas Goddard had this injury and dealt with it a couple of years ago now, but he's obviously not a quarterback. (laughs) Like it's so different when you are a quarterback and it is your throwing shoulder to guess how you're going to respond in the immediate aftermath. So, yeah, I mean, I don't blame fans when they're frustrated by, you know, that lack of immediacy in terms of the return on the deal. But yeah, I mean, ultimately it's the reality and these deals like this just aren't immediate. That's not their nature anyway. They're so long-term and that's kind of, that is how you have to think about them. So they're, you know, still three more years. And yes, those two years, that's a lot of money. And it's easy to point at the dollar signs related to that deal and related to the years that have already gone by with little, you know, production and a small sample size. But I just think it's really hard in this instance to have that what have you done for me lately mindset because you'll just drive yourself crazy week in and week out. I I think that's it. You'll just drive yourself crazy because look, they should have more to show for this trade than they than a playoff loss that he he wasn't even available for. Like they should have way more to show for it than that. But there's nothing you could do about that at this point. There's nothing you do about the injuries. You knew about the suspension when you traded for. Maybe you didn't think it was going to be that long, but you know, you, you kind of have to, you, they just sort of have to think about it because like, like you said, Ashley it would just drive them crazy. And also the other thing that stood out to me, you know, obviously everybody's going to talk about the chiefs and the bills and the Ravens and the Texans. Right. And Mary Kay, like you have two choices. You can throw your hands up and say, well, we don't have a chance, but you really can't do that. Right. So, I mean, that's why they made this trade in the first place. Because you can't just throw your hands up and say, well, we'll never beat Patrick or we'll never beat Josh. or we'll... So you took a shot. Maybe that guy is still in there. It, it's getting farther and farther away. But if there is a sliver of that, if that Baltimore game, that Baltimore second half that we're going to hear about over and over again for the next eight months, 
if that was really a turning point and he can come back from this injury, then maybe you, maybe you do have a chance. You know what? I was thinking about this a lot over the weekend too, with Baker Mayfield doing what he was doing. You know, I was thinking, oh my goodness, what, you know, what is this town uh, going to do if Baker takes the Bucks to the NFC championship game or to the Super Bowl? I mean, can you guys can imagine, I mean, it would just be, an uproar and it would it would have been challenging for Browns fans to have to to deal with that I think um but I still think in the moment what they were trying to do was be able to be able to compete as you were mentioning Dan with the Patricks and the Joshes and the Lamars and at that time in, in that moment in time it did not seem like Baker was the person that was going to be able to do that. So I think you do have to, to give them credit from a football standpoint, at least from, from trying to upgrade for trying to upgrade their quarterback position so that they could hang with the big boys of the NFL. Cause it's hard. I mean, I, you know, I watched, obviously we all watched that Kansas city bills game and poor Josh Allen, you know, is he ever going to be able to get past Patrick, is that just going to be his legacy that he cannot beat a Patrick Mahomes led football team? And, you know, it could be the same thing for the Browns over the next five, six, seven years once they kind of get it together and get it rolling with Deshaun. If that works out like that, it could be the same thing. Or maybe their defense will be good enough uh, that they can do it. So, but I do think there's something to be said for at least trying, at least trying to make sure that you are the best that you can be at every position. Well, and the, and the Baker thing is a, a good point, right? Because you're, you're right. Baker played really well this year and he probably deserves to start somewhere next year, whether it's in Tampa or someplace else. But what happened? He played this, this classic Baker game. It was all over the place. He, he was dynamic enough to keep his team in it. And then when the chips were down, he threw an interception with, uh, I'm like, what was it? The second play of the drive? I don't even remember. But it was like he, he didn't have a chance to lead the game-winning drive. He panicked and turned the ball over almost right away. So mm-hmm. that that was what the Browns were seeing, too, is that ceiling that Baker gave them. And the hope was, like you said, from a football standpoint, that Deshaun Watson would raise that ceiling, Ashley. Yeah, and, you know, I think in thinking about Baker Mayfield these last, like, 24 hours especially, especially I also think, like, it just underscores for me, like, that's a bad division, right? Like, that's part of the reason that they were able to do what they were able to do this year. The AFC North has, like, consistently these last few years been one of the most competitive. We know that, obviously. We get to see it more often than most, um, even just having Lamar in the division. But it's, like, it's not just about that, right? Like, when Joe Burrow's healthy, the Bengals are who they are. The Steelers somehow sneak their way into the playoffs yet again and obviously got you know, destroyed in the first round or whatever. But like, that's the caliber that Deshaun is going up against every single week. It is what Baker had to go up against every single week. Like it just kind of underscores for me that, hey, when you have a good division, life is a lot, I think, more difficult just week in and week out than if you're in a bad one. Okay, we're going to take a break first. There's two things that I want to get to. The first is Instagram. Close whatever app you're listening on. Go to Instagram. Find Orange and Brown Talk, hit follow. Next, though, I got a question. Um, Ashley, Mary Kay, I know the answer to this. You guys like food, 
right? We do. On the we road. We like food. We're always we going do. to get we food. We like finding places. We like finding new restaurants. And trying. Yes, we do. It actually takes up a lot of our, our time, if we're being honest, is, is finding food. All right. So if you like food and drink, we're breaking new ground. We've got a lively new podcast about dining and drinking in Greater Cleveland. Hosts Josh Duke and Alexa and Alex Darris. Sorry about that. Crackle with their fun talk about the latest foodie happenings. Joined by the most in-the-know experts in town, Mark Bona, Paris Wolf, Peter Chikarian. It's called Dine Drink CLE. And you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Again, that's Dine, Drink, C-L-E. Uh, dine, Drink, all one word. Give it a listen. Get your mouth watering. We're good at finding food away from Cleveland. This podcast will help you find food in Cleveland. Uh, so check that out. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about a few more Andrew Berry topics. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, let's talk a little Nick Chubb. Uh, Andrew Barry called it the elephant in the room, which I thought was interesting. I know, Ashley, you pointed that out, too, in our in our video today. I did think that was interesting. Um, and it, it was really interesting because he sort of his preamble today was all about decisions, right? Like, you've got to make some tough decisions and tough choices if you want to get to a Super Bowl. And the first name that popped in my head when he started talking about that was Nick Chubb. But Mary Kay, he did make the point that they want Nick Chubb to be a Cleveland Brown. They don't want his last carry as a Cleveland Brown to be that carry in Pittsburgh. And the reality of this is, I think we talked about what Flacco and Watson wouldn't do to the locker room. I think if you sent Nick Chubb packing for whatever reason, that would not go over well in that locker room. Uh, maybe guys would get over it. Cause like you said, they're all pros, but Nick Chubb's going to be a Cleveland Brown, but it, it just depends. They've got to do some work on that contract. Yeah. And, and I think they'll be able to come up with something. I think this is one of those situations where you err on the side of caution and uh, you know, you give a little bit more than you normally would to make this thing work. It's Nick Chubb. It's PR, it's perception, it's humanity, it's caring about your players, it's the message that you're sending. Uh, so it's Nick Chubb. I think they'll find a way to make it work. I think the only way that it doesn't work is if Nick Chubb doesn't like the way that it's going. You know what I mean? I think for the most part, uh, you know, the Browns are going to do whatever it takes uh, to try to to do right by Nick Chubb. But if you remember last year in training camp, he stood up at, at the mic stand at the Greenbrier and he really went to bat for all the running backs and the fact that, you know, they deserve to get paid and all those kinds of things. So I think that it's going to work out fine. I think Andrew Barry made it clear today that he's going to find a way to make it work. And I don't think that anybody's going to have to worry about the fact that the Browns are not going to give Nick Chubb a chance to come back and be the player that, um, or at least close to the player that he was before, he's going to get that opportunity. So, you know, that's just the way that it's going to be. It's the way that it should be. And I'm glad that Andrew answered that that way today. Yeah, and Ashley, I mean, like, these guys are so smart with the cap. There's got to be a way to make sure that Nick Chubb can still get most of his money, but the Browns aren't going to be... I mean, I think he's eaten up $15 million of cap space next year, which even if he were your starting running back, that's a lot of money for your starting running back. Now you do that for a guy like Nick Chubb, but we don't know when he's going to be back. We don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back. We don't know if this is going to be one of those the year after the year situations where maybe that first year is a little rocky and the next year he looks more like Nick Chubb. So 
it's really just about finding a way to be fair to Nick, but also give this team flexibility because you don't know what you're going to get out of Nick. Right. And I think, you know, it's important to remember with Nick Chubb, this is not just the fact he's like coming back from a major surgery, right? It was actually two surgeries. First of all, we know he had to go in for two separate rounds. The ACL was a whole separate procedure that he had a couple months after the first one. And it's also the second time that this knee has been reconstructed now. This is the same knee that he had to have basically totally reconstructed minus his ACL when he was a sophomore at Georgia. He came back from that wonderfully. It was basically like a medical marvel. So obviously in a perfect world, we know how strong Nick Chubb is, how hard he works. Andrew Barry talked a lot about that today. You know, I think they're they're hoping that that recovery, and it sounds like it has been going well so far. But, you know, to your point, Dan, like you said, he has, I looked up the numbers today on Spotrack. It's a just over a $15.8 million cap hit next season. Um, he has an $11.7 million, just over base salary next season. And his dead cap number is $4 million, which is why, like, even on Spotrack, you look at their breakdown and it says the potential out year, basically, for how they characterize things because of that dead cap number uh, and obviously how much the cap hit is going to be. So it it is interesting. I agree with Mary Kay, though. Like, I think you just you can't get rid of him because of everything. He made. He's one of the faces of the franchise. He is one of those glue guys on top of being one of the best running backs, maybe the best running back in the game right now, um, depending on who you're talking to. So I, I think that's just how it has to be. And it's going to be a matter of how can Andrew Barry work some of that cap magic that we've seen him work in the past to make all of the puzzle pieces fit together even when it looks like there's no way they're going to. Yeah. It feels like there might be some void years coming Nick Chubb's way with this, Mm -hmm. uh, with this contract, but Mary, I mean, like, again, they could figure something out. Like, let's say they decide to, and I know financially it doesn't make sense, but maybe they rework his contract and they can move on from like a Jack Conklin. I don't think that would create like outrage in the fan base, right? Nothing against Jack and, and fans like the guy, but, you know, I don't think it would create out. Nick is just different. Nick is different from almost any other player on this team. I even think if, if for some reason they were unable to keep Amari, that would make people angry. But even that wouldn't. I mean, Nick is just a whole, he's a whole nother level than I think anyone else on this roster. And I think that sort of takes analytics and, and that approach is supposed to take the emotion out of it. But you just, you can't take the emotion out of the Nick Chubb part of this. He's, he just means too much to these fans and, and honestly yeah. to his teammates too. That That's the other big part of it. Yeah. I mean, you can just see from, um, you know, from the way that he, uh, you know, smashed the guitar before the Thursday night jets game and put on the Batman mask. And I mean, so many fans have Chubb jerseys. I mean, fans just love him for many, many fans. He is their favorite, favorite player. Uh, I know so many people that feel that way. And, you know, I just do think that, um, you know, that they have to make it right. They've got to figure out a way to make it right. And there is a way to do it. I mean, there there definitely is a way to do it. Like you said, there can be some void years coming where you lower the, where you lower the cap. Uh, there can be a way that you do it where you build incentives into the contract for games played, games started, things like that. So there's all different ways that you can go about it. And, uh, rest assured that they have the smartest capologists in the NFL right here in this building. And, uh, you know, and they'll find a way to make sure that, um, 
you know, that, that it's the right thing to do. And it's the, you know, it's the humane thing to do, even if Nick isn't necessarily ready right away, they're going to find a way to do this um, in the right way for everybody involved. Yeah, a lot of a lot of former finance bros in the building. They'll figure this out. Um, mm-hmm. One one more thing I want to talk about. Andrew again had nothing but glowing things to say about Kevin Stefanski. I think it's kind of funny because Andrew is younger than Kevin. He's been in the NFL uh, less time than Kevin, but it's it's kind of funny to hear him talk about Kevin as you know this developmental coach sometimes. But I, I thought it was interesting the way he talked about him as you know a guy who hasn't reached his ceiling yet and. For, you know, for as long as he's been in the league since 2006, he's only been a play caller since 2019. He's only been a head coach since 2020. He's really only had like two normal years as a head coach. Uh, the one year was just completely insane with, with nothing, nothing in person. The second year was a little more normal, but it was still weird. So he's really only had two normal years. And, and Mary Kay, I thought it was, I, I sort of liked how Andrew talked about Kevin today, just as a guy who... We've seen grow like you acknowledge that maybe he's a better coach today than he was even in 2020 when they made that kind of unlikely playoff run and that he's still a guy who can grow. And he even invoked the name of Andy Reid today, who every year when we do our coaches draft either goes first or second. So that's pretty high praise from Andrew Barry to, to invoke that name in, in regards to Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I think before too long, we're going to be writing about or opining about um, a extension for Kevin, one for Andrew as well. Um, I mean, they, they love Kevin and what he, what he was able to do this year. And, you know, there's a really good chance that he's going to get his second coach of the year, even though I know a lot of people probably think that, you know, D'Amico Ryans should get it based on the fact that, you know, he beat the Browns and went further in the playoffs and, and those kinds of things. But, um, you know, it must be remembered that those awards are voted upon before the playoffs. So even though that's going to feel a little bit off, maybe, uh, I think it's Kevin's, I think it's Kevin's award. That seems to be the way that it's going to go. And the Browns are very excited about that. And, um, and I do think that, you know, there is a world in which he might possibly be willing to turn play calling over or collab on some play calling with a new offensive coordinator. I don't know if he will or not. Andrew clearly believes it's still one of his strengths as a coach. And I don't think in a perfect world they wouldn't want him to give it up. But sometimes in order to attract the right person, you have to give it up or at least be willing to partially give it up or share it or something. So that's all out there on the table, but certainly uh, Kevin Stefanski is going to be here for a long time. Yeah. And and Ashley, we've, you know, we've kind of gotten to see him grow. He's gotten a little, just a, I say this very, very little, a little looser with us uh, here and there when he talks to us. Um, But he just seems more comfortable. This seems like this is more of his program and just the way this year to hear all these players talk, you could just tell that Kevin, Kevin has his fingerprints all over everything in that locker room. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Just the fact that all of these guys, when we talked to them every single day, that they had practice availability, it was inevitable. It felt like that somebody was going to parrot Kevin in some way. And whether it was the 1-0 and every week, like that seemed to be the main thing. 
but their messaging was just so uniform this year. And I mean, we've talked about this, that while that was boring to cover sometimes when you're trying to, you know, get some insight and get good quotes and find the story. I think it's good for their perspective internally that that stuff had really seeped in. Um, and, you know, I do think people like question, oh, were they looking too far ahead once the playoffs hit? Like, I don't, I never really felt like that was the case with them. Like, I think they truly bought into that 1-0 and mindset every single week. We just heard it nonstop. And, I mean, that coupled with the fact that what he did with, you know, winning games with four different starting quarterbacks and that crazy stat, and it hadn't been done since God only knows when. I don't remember the number because I famously do not have Mary Kay's penchant for remembering insane numbers in my head. Um, but that those two things alone are just so impressive and so worthy of, I think, that Coach of the Year award. Um, and again, reminding people that that's a regular season award. So that loss against the Texans does not impact him versus D'Amico Ryans or anything like that. All right, real quick, I just want to react to something that just just happened um that is could be browns adjacent we'll see how things go uh but brian callahan uh is going to be the titans new head coach and of course brian callahan has a dad named bill who works for the browns who is has been a really key member of of this team and you know he's been not just his ability to coach the line but he's you know kevin has told us before bill's office is right next to his and you go back to that 2020 season, like having Bill around has been a big part of Kevin's growth. So something to keep an eye on here, Mary Kay. Andrew was asked about that today. If uh, if Brian got hired, what that would mean for Bill, uh, he just declined to answer it. It is interesting that one of the offensive coordinator candidates the Browns interviewed is an offensive line coach. That's Andy Dickerson, who works for the Seahawks. So that's something to keep an eye on if he doesn't get the... Uh, offensive coordinator job could they circle back with him on that maybe that was a way to get an interview you know that would have uh, a, an interview for a promotion that maybe they wouldn't have been allowed to do uh, if they were just interviewing from for o-line that's just a conspiracy theory though still though <laughs> interesting right we'd like something to put a pin in here as a corporate speak as you know bill callahan's son gets his first head coaching job well, it's a unique opportunity to work with a family member like that. How often does that happen where you would get to do that, where a father and a son would have a chance, uh, you know, to work together side by side? And we we know that that Bill is one of the best in the business. So, you know, I, I guess I just wouldn't be surprised if, if that happens. And I certainly wouldn't blame Bill for wanting to do that. So uh, I do think it's something that, you know, that the Browns are going to need to keep an eye on. And you know, he has trained um, Scott Peters to do the job very, very well. So, you know, I, I I would think that the Browns will still be in really good hands if this happens. But certainly, you know, Bill is one of the best in the business, if not the best at his position. Yeah, Ashley, I mean, you've talked to O-Lyman. And we just, you ask anybody in this building, not just O-Lyman, anybody about Bill, and they just... You always get a great answer about nobody. Nobody gives you a bad answer about Bill Callahan. Yeah, you know, I do think that would definitely be a loss. Like Mary Kay said, I mean, it's such a unique opportunity. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he opts to go that route and, you know, get to work with his son because it is such a unique chance. But 
I'm glad we brought up like the Scott Peters thing because it's felt like over the last like year and a half, especially that his name has just been coming up more and more. Like when players talk about Bill, they talk about Scott too. Like it's almost like one entity when we've heard them talk about these guys, I think over the last like year, really, especially. And we've gotten to hear from Scott Peters more and like the Friday availability with the assistants, like, I definitely think, like Mary Kay said, they would be in good hands if Bill Callahan decides to go. But he's, like, maybe the best position coach in the NFL. Like, he's really good. He's really good at his job. So I definitely still think it would hurt. Yeah, and, you know, look, losing him, losing Stump, that's that's some brain drain right there. Those are two veteran guys in that building that I know, um, especially the young coaches, leaned on a lot. Uh, but we'll see sort of how that plays out. But, again, Kevin's been here four years. He should have a pretty good base, I think, if they've got to have some turnover and, and make some changes there. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Like I said earlier, follow us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. And, of course, become a football insider subscriber. Uh, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. We'll be doing a Hey Mary Kay pod here uh, tomorrow. So uh, if you want to get some questions in for that, football insider is the way to go. Become one of our texters to get involved with that. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 